my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus gives us his mission statement. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He is headed towards the cross. And he says in verse 10, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is the reason Jesus came. That is his mission. And so what I want us to do this morning is to reflect on this mission statement of Jesus by asking uh, a couple of questions as we reflect on that statement and the story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. So the two questions are this. First of all, how does this mission of Jesus that he came to seek and save the lost apply to me? How does that apply to me? Is there anything in Zacchaeus' experience of Jesus that resonates with my experience of Jesus? How does it apply to me? And secondly, how does it apply to the church? So first of all, how does Zacchaeus' experience of Jesus relate to your experience of Jesus? Can you relate in some way to what happened here with Zacchaeus? Who was Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, Luke tells us, was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors have never been popular in any culture. I don't think there's ever been a tax collector appreciation day in any culture. But Zacchaeus was especially despised by his own people because he was a Jewish tax collector for the Roman government, which was oppressing the Jewish people. The Roman government had three main taxes. They had a land tax. They had a a poll tax, a census tax. And then they had a custom tax, and you had to pay taxes on your goods as you transported them to different villages. And perhaps that's what Zacchaeus was. Perhaps he collected the custom tax in Jericho. But whatever kind of tax collector he was, he was very wealthy as a result of his business. And he was looked upon by the Jewish people as an outsider, as a collaborator, as a traitor, as a turncoat. He was despised by his people. Tax collectors were also known to be immoral because they would charge above and beyond what Rome would charge and they would pocket the rest. That was common practice. So they were known to be a greedy, materialistic people who take advantage of the poor, take advantage of their own. So here was Zacchaeus. He's an outsider. He's a notorious sinner. He is spiritually lost. He's lost. He's apart from God. He's acting immoral. I wonder if you can relate. I'm not asking if you've been a notorious sinner. Maybe you've been a respectable sinner. Most of us probably have been. But I'm asking if there's ever been a time in your life you can reflect back on your life and you can say, you know what, I was spiritually lost then. I was away from God. God was on the margins of my life. He wasn't at the center of my life. I didn't care about God or the things of God. I certainly wasn't living for Christ. I was spiritually lost. I wonder if anybody here can relate to that. And then I wonder if you remember a time in your life 
where Jesus found you, where Jesus called your name like he did with Zacchaeus here. As Zacchaeus is up in the tree looking for Jesus. Now, why is Jesus? Why is Zacchaeus up in the tree looking for Jesus? That's an interesting question. Why would a tax collector climb up in the tree, besides the fact that he was short, to see Jesus coming down the lane? Well, we can I don't know that for sure. We, we can hazard, though, kind of an educated guess. Because at this time, something's happening among the tax collectors. There's a spiritual awakening that's happening among the tax collectors during this time period. It, it started with John the Baptist. Remember when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River and people would come to him? One group that came to him was the tax collector. And it says in Luke 3, 20, uh, Luke 3, verses 12 through 13, it talks about how he uh, talked to the tax collectors and they say, what should we do? We, we want to be baptized. We want to be right with God. And he said, don't extort anymore. Don't charge anymore. Then you should. And some tax collectors were baptized by John. And John would tell them to look to Jesus, the Messiah, as the fulfillment of their salvation. So something was happening among the tax collectors at this time. And then, of course, we know that Jesus chose a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Levi, Matthew, was one of Jesus' disciples. And then later on, we learn in Luke, Luke 7, 34, that Jesus is even branded a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Zacchaeus, the tax collector, surely has heard of Jesus. In his network, in his guild, there's a revival going on. People are turning back to God. Maybe even Zacchaeus was one of those who had been baptized by John and was looking for the fulfillment of salvation with the coming of the Messiah. But whatever the precise reason, Zacchaeus is up in the tree. He's searching for Jesus. But Jesus is also searching for Zacchaeus. He calls out Zacchaeus' name. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Not, I think it would be nice if you invite me to your house. It would be lovely to come and visit with you and have a spot of tea. No, it was, I must. This is the will of God. This is a divine appointment. Zacchaeus, this is your hour. This is your day. The day of salvation has come to you today. Do you recognize this? God was working on the heart of Zacchaeus in that moment. This was a divine appointment. See, our God, the God of the Bible, is not like the God that so many people think about, that he's a distant God, that he's the the man upstairs, so to speak. The God of the Bible, the God that we see in Jesus Christ, is a seeking God who knows us all by name. This is what Jesus has been teaching throughout the Gospel of Luke, the most famous sort of teaching of this is found in Luke 15, the parables of the lost and the found. You know, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd goes out and he has 99, but one sheep goes astray and he'll go after the 99 or after the one that's lost. The parable, of course, of the prodigal son. And Jesus is saying in these parables, this is what God is like. He goes after the lost. He seeks to save the lost. And we see this happening in the ministry of Jesus. And I wonder if you can look back at a time in your life where you say, Jesus was seeking me. He was calling me. 
a parishioner was telling me a couple of weeks ago, I asked her if I could share this story, how she came back to church, how she came back to God. And she said that when she was in college, somebody gave her a Bible. It was the Way Living Bible. I don't know if any of you remember the Way Living Bible. And she still has it today. But she began to read that Bible and develop a relationship with God through his word. And uh, eventually, however, her life got busy, took some twists and turns, some unexpected developments, and she put God on the shelf. She put God on hold. But then after a difficult season of her life, God came knocking again. It happened through the guy who was delivering purified water to her house. She said this water delivery guy was really a preacher, and he wouldn't just deliver water, he would deliver the gospel. And he would come and he would tell her about Jesus and he would talk to her about the Bible. And as, as he did that, she began to sense God calling her back to himself. She said, God wouldn't give up on me and that's why I'm here today. God is a seeking God who knows us by name. And when he finds us, he changes us. That's the other thing I want you to notice here. I want you to think about this in your own experience. Has Christ changed me? changed my life, changed my value system. Look at what happened in Zacchaeus' life. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Literally, a sinner man. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look at the transformation here. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. That's a remarkable transformation. Imagine right now liquidating all your assets and giving half of it away to the poor. And then making up fourfold those he defrauded. This is evidence of a transformed life. This shows a genuine change of his heart. Once his life orbited around greed and money and possessions, and now it orbits around Jesus. He was like the rich young ruler in Luke 18. Now we're in Luke 19. You see, the rich young ruler loved wealth. He had many possessions. But unlike the rich young ruler, and I think this is why this story follows so tightly here, unlike the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus is able to give up some of his wealth, to release that in order to follow Jesus Christ. He shows that he loves Christ more than his wealth. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. The point is, is that when we come to Christ, when he comes after us and we respond to him, he changes us. He changes our value system. We begin to obey God's word. We begin to want to obey God's word. And these things are evidence of true salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We're not saved by our good works, but our good works are evidence that we truly have been saved. And so anyone who knows the salvation of Jesus Christ has experienced some of the things that Zacchaeus experienced in the story. One, you can say with Zacchaeus, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Anybody who has experienced genuine salvation can say that. That, like we heard in the Isaiah text, my sins 
were once as scarlet, but because of the work of Christ, I've been forgiven, and they're white as snow. Christ has done that work in me. So that's one thing we can say if we know Christ. And then we can also say, Christ has changed me. Christ is continuing to change me. My value system has changed. My morality has changed because of the work of Christ. There's been some transformation that's taken place in my life. If you can't say that, then perhaps you're still in the tree. And you haven't come down and you haven't responded. But perhaps Jesus is calling your name today. And today is an appointed day for you. Today is the day of salvation. He's come to seek and save the lost. So what does this have to say to us as a church? How does Jesus' mission of seeking and saving the lost apply to us as a church body? Well, it's fairly obvious, isn't it, that Jesus' mission, if he is our Lord, if he is the head of the church, if his mission is to seek and save the lost, then it ought to be our mission. If you're in the military, the commander's mission is your mission. If you're not in line with the commander's mission, you're in trouble. And so the mission of Christ is the mission of the church. To seek out those who are lost, to show them the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a challenging mission for us today. It was challenging for the crowds. Look at how they reacted to Jesus reaching out to Zacchaeus and saying, I'm going to go to your house today. In verse 7, it says, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be with a sinner. The ironic thing is that this is the same crowd just previously. At the end of chapter 18, verse 33, who praised God when he healed a blind man. The same exact crowd. When they saw Jesus heal a blind man in verse 43, all the people gave praise to God. But when they saw Jesus invite a tax collector and reach out to a tax collector, all the people grumbled. Could it be that we in the church prefer to minister to certain types of people? Could it be that we prefer certain types of ministry? You know, historically, Anglicans have been associated with what? The upper class, the learned, the sophisticated. There's a saying about how Christianity spread to the American frontier. It goes like this. The Baptists came on foot to preach. The Methodists came on horseback to preach. The Episcopalians arrived in Pullman coach cars drinking sherry. You see, Anglicanism has always been associated with the upper crust, the upper class. But we have to be willing to reach all kinds of people from all different backgrounds. We have to be willing to reach whoever is lost. And we certainly can't, and here's the other challenge. I'm I'm preaching to myself here right now. We can't separate ourselves from those who are lost. We can't get into our holy huddles, our church cocoons. That's what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. They looked at the tax collector and they said, you know, the tax collector is a threat. The tax collector is an enemy to us. The tax collector is an enemy to our way of life. The tax collector is threatening God's blessing on our nation. 
Because if we live the way we know we're supposed to live, the Pharisee says, God will bless us and deliver us from the Roman oppression. But the tax collector is undermining all this. And then look at Jesus. He's undermining it too. And God will never bless our nation if we do what Jesus does. And friends, I think we can have that attitude too towards those that we feel who are undermining our nation and our morality. Outspoken atheists, the folks who are redefining marriage, the moral relativists, the people who are promoting sensuality. The challenge of Jesus, and it is a great challenge, is to see them not so much as a threat, although they are threatening some foundations, and we recognize that, but to see them primarily as people who are lost and who are made in the image of God and who need salvation. Jesus says about Zacchaeus, this man also is a son of Abraham. And these people also are made in the image of God. And they need to know about Christ. The challenge is to not withdraw and certainly not to disdain people who differ from us, but to reach out in hospitality like Jesus did. The goal is that they would experience what Zacchaeus experienced. Salvation, an encounter with Christ, repentance that leads to true transformation and life change. Now, as a church, we're a welcoming body. I hear that all the time from people who visit. It's a very friendly body of believers, and we need to sustain that, and we need to cultivate that and keep that, to welcome everybody who comes, to show hospitality to everybody who comes, no matter if their morals and their politics and their theology makes you want to pull your hair out. That doesn't mean that we lower our standards. See, this is the balance. We don't lower God's standards of holiness. We don't change the truth of God to fit our culture. But we reach out in a way that reflects the love of God for the lost. And this is our call. Jesus' mission is our mission to seek and save the lost. I know it's not easy. I know it's a struggle. You know, just this week, I, I was up in uh, Troy, Missouri, where we once pastored, and we have a house there, and we were doing some business there. I'll close with this. We're doing some business there. And I met one of my former neighbors. It was kind of a quick conversation on the sidewalk. And this is a man who has suffered a lot of health problems. Really, he's had a brush with death. His heart is not doing well. He's had aneurysms and those sorts of things. So as I was talking with him, he, he, he just was expressing a sense of hopelessness in his life, just kind of coming through the way he was talking. And you know that moment when you want to shift the conversation then to the things of God. And I'm just like you. I, I, I struggle with that and how to do that. And I tried in a subtle way to do that, and, and we didn't really get to the nub of the matter like I, I wanted to in that context. It was maybe not the right time. But as I walked away from that conversation, of course, I'm meditating on preaching a, a sermon like this. It's just a sense of responsibility that we have, that I have, to share the gospel with lost people. I followed up that conversation with a letter. I stuck a pamphlet in it about the way of salvation. I offer to talk with him again, and I hope that he responds to that. I've been praying for him. But friends, let's just never forget our responsibility. There's lost people all around us, 
They're called, we're called to make Christ known. Let's continue to pray for unsaved friends and family members and neighbors. Let's continue to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Let's invite people to church so they can hear the gospel. Let's pray that they would have divine appointments where Jesus Christ would call their name. Let's pray that our church would have something of the compassion and love of Christ towards the lost. This is our mission. His mission is our mission. To seek out the lost and to offer them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I want to pray for those who may be here this morning who maybe sense that you're distant from God, you're distant from Christ. And I want to pray that you would hear him calling you even now. Lord Jesus, you know each of us here by name. You have uh, died on the cross for the sins of the whole world to reconcile us to God, our Heavenly Father. Our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in you. And so I pray that if there is one person here who recognizes I've been apart from God, that God is seeking after me, that they return to the offer of grace that you're presenting even now that they would claim you as their Lord and Savior. Repent of sin and walk in new life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not give up on any of us. We can look back on our life and we can see how your hand was guiding and directing us and reaching out to us and calling our name. We thank you for your saving and sustaining grace in our life. And we pray out of the love that we have for you because of your love for us, that we would reach out to the others who are lost. Renew us in a fresh way in the hope and the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we ask. Amen.